Hey, everybody. Hope you're doing well today. We are at our Wednesday Bible study, and I'm excited about continuing through the book of Revelation. We've been doing this now for probably about four or five weeks, and um, I'm enjoying it. I hope that you are, too. I hope you're finding it beneficial, and I hope it's helping you understand the book of Revelation just a little bit more. Uh, I know that as I've studied for it, it's really opened up the opened up the book for me, and, and I'm reading and I've mentioned this a couple times, a couple different uh, companions along with it that will uh, that, that have been helping me really kind of set the tone for, for how I'm reading the book of Revelation. The first one is Reverse Thunder by Eugene Peterson, and the second one is Reading Revelation Responsibly by Dr. Michael Gorman. Uh, these two books uh, have been kind of beneficial in helping me kind of process through. Now, they're, they are by far not the only voices in Revelation, and there are like we talked about at the very beginning, there are a lot of different opinions and scholars uh, throughout the game that kind of look at Revelation in some different ways. This is the way that has uh, sat home with me uh, that are really kind of hit home in my heart with um, the most consistent, the best reading that I've found of, of Revelation. So um, I'm by far not the the, the only or uh, judge of that. And, and there are others who have read it um, in different ways. And so, what I hope that this does is it it gives you a a starting point and it gives you a place to start to have conversations. And and so if if other people have different readings of it, it's a great place to have a conversation. It's a great place to look at the resources and and think about why we understand the Word of God the way that we understand it. So, um, and uh, that's that's kind of what I'm doing. So just trying to to lay that out for us as we process through the book of Revelation. So. All right. Um, if you haven't had a chance yet, go ahead and say hello. If you're if if you're joining us, I'd love to um, to say hello, and then I'll get my notes up here and we'll get going. If you notice, I've been trying to shorten these just a little bit more. I, I realize it's probably going to run us right up into Revelation, or uh, I'm sorry, Romans, which we're going to be jumping into next. And um, I, I'm still trying to figure out how I'm going to finish off Revelation and jump into uh, the Book of Romans. So. Um, so I'll get it figured out, and you're going to have to excuse me for a second. I got to <coughs> – sorry. I just had a slight tickle in the back of my throat there. My throat got really dry real quick. So – but figure out how we're going to um, work finish work finishing off Re Revelation while we uh, teach through the book of Romans as well. So Romans is going to coincide – with uh, Sunday morning. So it's going to be kind of different in that we're not just going to process the book from start to finish. Uh, we are going to be looking at um, a more detailed look at the passages that we'll be talking about on Sunday morning. So um, that will kind of determine and set the pace for how we're going to look at the book of Romans. And I hope you're excited about that. I, I love the book of Romans. Um, and, and it's been, it, it is by far one of the, uh, thickest books uh, of the Bible, and, and it's been used in, in various different ways to, um, to really kind of set a lot of base theology for Christianity. So, um, and so I'm excited to get into that. All right. Well, that's enough of the announcements today. I'd like to get going into our study. And so um, if you would do me a favor, if you're going, to, I'm going to jump over to my notes. If you're following along in your Bible, which I always encourage you to do. I have the the message or the the passage up on the screen through the translation that I'm reading. But if you want to follow along in your translation, I encourage you to do so. So I'm gonna jump over to my notes and then uh, I'll say a quick prayer and then we'll get going uh, in our study today. 
All right. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for, again, this opportunity to study and read your word. Without you, um, we're nothing. And with you, Lord God, we have the potential and the hope for life and life everlasting. And so, Lord, God, as your people, we we celebrate what you've done in us already, and we anticipate um, the promises that you've given to us. That as your people, God, you win the ultimate victory over sin, death, evil, destruction, above all of those things, Lord God, you are victorious and you hold them in your hands. And so, Lord God, as we look forward to the day when um, when justice is done uh, for, for those that have, have have done evil and wrong to, to your people, um, God, we, we just look for we, we look forward to that day. And so um, hoping and, and trusting and believing that, God, that you still have many to save and you have many to draw to you to to become your people. And so, God, we anticipate that as well and help us to do the work of displaying your good name, displaying your glory um, on this earth as we as we have been called to do that as your people here today. And Lord, we love you. We praise you and give you thanks. Amen. All right. So we are going to jump in and we're going to be looking at the first part of chapter eight. So it's it's actually going to be all but one verse of chapter eight. And then the first verse of, of chapter or the last verse of chapter eight is going to actually fit with the second half of um, uh, of the 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 message that we're going to be talking about today. So at, at, if you're looking at the overall structure of Revelation, we started talking a few weeks back about how the lamb opened up six seals and they were going to he was doing a message, a seven point message sermon uh, for uh, a different term and how he is displaying these seals. He's opening, he's breaking the seals on these scrolls and all of these different things are happening in heaven and, and, and on the earth. And so this last one, we have not got to the seventh scroll yet or the seventh seal. And we're going to look at that today, but we're not going to finish it today. So I'm going to break um, the seventh seal, which spans eight and chapter nine up into two different days. So we will look at 813 through through most of nine tomorrow and uh, we'll finish off this first sermon. So just a reminder, we are looking at those six seals and and, and we talked about how it's a history of evil and, and how evil has played a part in creation and how evil has played a part in our cultures and our world. And yet how Christ is triumphant over it and Christ will be triumphant over it, even though we are left to still live within um, with, with evil as a reality in our lives in this moment. Christ ultimately has victory over sin, death, disease, famine. All of the things that that uh, that, that really rip at us as human beings, and and Christ wins over them and and, and has victory over them in the end. So that's kind of where we were last week. We're picking up with closing out that sermon by looking at the seventh seal. So in each uh, chapter eight, verse one, opened up the seventh seal. There was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given. An angel with a golden censer came and stood at the altar. He was given a great quantity of incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar that is before the throne. And the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel, from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. 
and there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and earthquake. Now the seven angels who had seven trumpets made ready to blow them. I think, I'm sorry, I, I left a piece of the, the next few verses on there, my bad. And the first angel blew his trumpet, and there came hail and a fire mixed with blood, and they were hurled to the earth, and the third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all green grass was burned up. The second angel blew his trumpet, and something like a great mountain burning with fire thrown into the sea. A third of the sea became blood, a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel blew his trumpet, and a great star fell from heaven, blazing like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water, and the name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood, and many, and many died from the water because it was made bitter. The fourth angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars so that a third of their light was darkened, a third of the day was kept from shining, and likewise the night. So, as we get into this, that you can see, this is this is where things, and we've kind of been talking about a little bit, things start to get strange uh, uh, about this time. Like, we're starting to see these different things happening, and um, and hopefully I can give a little bit of clarity to as to kind of how to, read and interpret this but um this is this is a point in the book of revelation when things start to get weird but um looking at the first part of the looking at the first part of this verse the very th first thing that i think we need to notice is this silence for a half hour and, and this is kind of unique because at this time everybody's worshiping everybody's praising and all of a sudden there's silence and, and, and the idea of a half hour, when you see half and you see third, which you're going to you see that all throughout the chapter eight, it's just this idea of a limited amount of time. It's not the fullness. It, it's it's a set amount of time. It's limited. And so what we see is that for a limited amount of time, there was silence in the throne room of heaven. And then seven angels with um, it, which. If you look back into chapter one, verse 20, were the seven stars. They were the seven messengers to the seven churches. And so um, I, I hope you hear this idea of seven kind of continually playing over. And again, if you remember, what is what is seven? Seven is the, the number of completeness. It is the idea of wholeness, of fullness. And so we see the fullness of the angels with the fullness of the stars. And the, the seven stars reference is to, to, to Christ who holds the seven stars in his hands. And, this, and they are defined as the seven messengers to the seven churches in, in 120. And they are given seven trumpets. And trumpets is, the trumpet is this, this imagery, this symbol of announcement and summoning. Now, Moses, and this is where a little bit of familiar, familiar, ooh, that's a big word, familiarity with the Old Testament really comes into play with helping to understand, um, helping to understand what's happening here. Moses made trumpets to summon the camp. So back in when he is uh, calling the camp to the tabernacle, so God gives him instructions for a tent where where God's presence will come and dwell. And when, when people are, when the nations and tribes are called and summoned to the tent, 
when they're called to gather outside of that that uh, that place of God's presence, Moses had these two trumpets made. And when they were blown, the people would come and they would gather. And so we see that in the Old Testament, this reference of, of a trumpet being something that summons. We also see it as a something that was played as a remembrance at festivals. Oftentimes, trumpets were blown at, in the Jewish New Year, the Rosh Hashanah. Um, the Day of Atonement trumpets were blown, Yom Kippur. At Jubilee, which Jubilee is this, this idea of, of every seven years, and, and, and I'm, I think I'm going to get this wrong. So there was the idea of, of seven weeks, or on the seventh day of the week was Sabbath, and the seventh year was, was um, uh, I'm, I'm trying to remember how this plays out, and I apologize for not having better studied this, but I think it was on year 49, the seven times seven was the year of Jubilee. And this is when all debts would be wiped out and all slaves would be freed. And, um, and so there, there would, the idea is this, this rest for the land, rest for the people, um, really resting and trusting in God's provision in that time. And so the year of Jubilee was to be declared with trumpets. Um, and then the, the thing that really brings to mind this picture of what's happening here um, in this moment is the story of Jericho, where Joshua is leading the people into the promised land. It's the first city that they come to. And instead of strapping on their swords and, and going and, 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 and breaking down the walls and, and doing it through natural means, God instructs them to march around the city of Jericho seven times, worshiping and praying with with seven trumpets and with seven these horns and and so this is what Joshua does he leads the people with seven priests marching around the marching around the the city of Jericho and on the seventh day they cry out with a loud shout and with praise and worship and prayer and the walls come tumbling down and they conquer the city and so we get this picture of Jericho here in this in, in this passage of the seven trumpets. And so the opening of this is meant to set a picture of, of a conquering, of something happening. Now, what's going on is, is that the angel in the opening, the first few chapter or, or verses of this chapter is that the, the angel is, uh, for lack of better terms, wafting up the prayers of the saints to heaven. In front of in front of God, so the prayers have been added to the incense, and they they are, are coming before God, and and so you get this idea that God is hearing their prayers. So these prayers are going up to the throne, and then you see the angel take and dump these prayers down on the earth. Well, what were the prayers of the saints? What what was the what were they talking about? What were they asking God to do? If you remember back in chapter six, verse ten and eleven. They, they were crying out, how long, God, until your justice and your wrath is poured out on those who oppressed us and who have killed us? So you see the martyrs underneath the altar in, in chapter 6, where they're crying out to God and they're asking God to move on their behalf and to bring justice on their behalf. Because there have been those who have oppressed them, who have killed them, who have, who have come after come after them and, and, so, and, and have caused problems for them. So these are the prayers going up before God and God who told them at the time in chapter six 
the, the time has not yet come. We see at the unveiling of the seventh seal, the time has come. And so what we're going to see is that as a result of the prayers going up to heaven, the prayers are affecting the earth. And so when we see these, um, the, the angel throw this, this uh, bowl full of incense and fire and, um, and, and prayers that are going up before God, you, you see God's judgment begin to happen on the earth. And that's what the seal number seven is. Seal number seven is the seven trumpets, and it's, it is the judgment of God on the earth. And so, and, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that here in one second. But one thing I want us to look at, and, and why I split these up, is because you really get two different kind of branches of these, these judgments. They're two different um, version or focuses is, is a better word for it. There's two different focuses on these judgments. And the first set of judgments and the ones that we're looking at today are really ecological disasters. And, and when we see things like the living plants and the sea creatures and the drinkable water and the lights, all of these things are being affected. And, and so much so that, that it has an impact on a certain percentage of the population. And, and again, we look at that number one third um, that's used often through the, these verses in chapter eight. And, and, and that is conveying this idea that it is not its fullness. Later on in Revelation, we're going to see that the fullness of God's judgment is laid out. And But right for right now, in these judgments, it, it is not the fullness of God's judgment, but a, a limitation of it, a part of it, a portion of it is a, a better way of saying. And, and these things are, are things that are effect, affecting God's creation. In reality, the order of creation is being undone. If you if you look at the way things are laid out, the living plants, the sea creatures, the drinkable water, the lights, um, each of these things play a part in creation. And so where God creates the heavens and the earth and he brings order to the earth, judgment is the reverse of it. Judgment is the place where the order is being undone. And so the question remains, to be asked because it sounds like that might not be something that God does, but in revelation, really this, these chapters are kind of left open to a lot of interpretation into um, what exactly is happening in this moment. Is God judging the earth or is, is, is God using what has really happened to the earth? Something that's already happened as a, um, as judgment to the earth. And, and let me just say it this way, because I said it in my notes a lot better. So is this judgment a result of God's active judgment against creation, or is it a natural consequence of a culture and society that abandoned God's ways in order for life? I want you to think about this. When we give into sin and we abandon God's ways, does not something die and is not something cursed and is not something uh, broken by the process. Think about it. If we sin in a relationship, a brokenness and, and a, a, a piece of that relationship dies and does not operate the way it was designed. And there is there is a level of of judgment in that in that moment. And I think we think judgment as in like the final gavel drop. And it's this idea of 
of we are judging someone else. That's that's not it. The, the idea is this: that there will come to an to an account for the things that are happening. And so, what's happening in creation right now is both an act of God, and it's a consequence of human sin. And so, Revelation, as John lays it out, he is looking around him and he's seeing what's happening in his in his world, and he's seeing the devastation of God's creation at the time. And he's commenting on how this is part of God's judgment. We experience discord and, and frustration, and we experience life as God didn't as, as in opposition to what God designed because we are not operating in the way that God designed. And so the answer to that question is yes. It's both God's active role in judging the earth, but it's also God allowing the, the natural consequence of human sin and brokenness to play out and to be a judgment on the earth. This is kind of what Romans chapter one kind of plays out, where it says that I, I gave people up to the, the lust of their minds. It's, it, this was a judgment on people for abandoning God's ways. So what did he do? He allowed the natural consequence of their sin to play out in their lives and in the world around them. And so that is what we see happening here. It is both God's activity and, and it is uh, God's way of allowing the natural consequence of sin to play out on the earth. So for John, something very specific that he is looking at is, and, and we talked about this a little bit at the beginning, is the role of empire. Why he sees this stuff playing out is because of how the Roman Empire has been operating. The Roman Empire operates at empire first, bottom dollar. So in riches and in, in what was needed to expand the empire, and all of that came as a priority. And when that was the priority, taking care of the, the world around them, taking care of the ecology, taking care of the – and stewarding God's creation was not a part of that equation, not a predominant part of that equation. Our culture would, um, it has a branch of this where it recognizes we need to steward God's earth. But for, for Rome, this was about building and expanding the empire. And so Rome's version of happiness was the Pax Romana. It was the peace of Rome, and it came at a cost. The lifestyle that Rome afforded was built on the backs of slaves through uh, warrior conquest where they where they went and they conquered lands and conquered people and they enslaved them and it came in at, at the level of economic oppression everything was done for the support of the empire and so if it ravaged the land and stripped the land of its natural resources guess what too bad it's what the empire needed and so they lived without consequence that the natural resources that they had were um that they were not limited, that they were not limited, that they were not finite. And so they did not steward the creation. They, they, they stripped it and they, they uh, wrecked it. And so it laid waste, the, the Pax Romana and the empire laid waste to the majority of the, of the land and the people that lived within the land. The majority of people lived under oppression and slavery and rule and poverty, where were, there was a select few who, really got to experience and taste the peace of Rome. And so as John looks at the culture around him, he sees 
the judge he sees the 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 ecological disasters that are taking place as the natural consequence of a society undoing the order of creation he that 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 rome has forsaken god's created order and that they are now in experiencing the con or will experience the consequences of that and yet at the same time god is initiating those con consequences it's it's like what pastor matthew taught a few weeks back about obedience fostering the supernatural or obedience opening up the path for the supernatural god oftentimes in history just uses natural human things to bring about his will and his desire and so part of the judgment is to allow humanity to reap the benefits of their sinful behavior and, and their sinful actions and this plays out in an ecological way it plays out in a way that that affects really every area of our life and we're going to look at at some of the other ways tomorrow when we look at chapter nine so i I talked about a lot of like kind of ethereal and like theory, theoretical things. So how does it play out in our life? Does our prayer life reflect the belief that it connects us to God and that it matters? We see in the beginning of Revelation that the prayers of the saints go up before God and then that those prayers take effect on the earth. Do we see our prayers as so important, our connection to God so important that we see that that those prayers affect our lives. As I was studying for this, I was thinking about this story that um, that oftentimes play has, has played. I don't know if you've heard it before. It's just a funny story, but it's this idea where where this pastor and this atheist they were neighbors, and and they never got along, and they were always frustrated with each other. And one day, the pastor comes out and says, "I'm going to pray that your house is destroyed." He goes back inside. They, they both go back inside. The, the neighbor's gone one day, and he comes back home, and his home is burnt to the ground. And the, the, the atheist neighbor's house is burnt to the ground. And he, he comes out, and he says, you destroyed my house. He says that to the pastor. He says, and the pastor's like, I don't know what you're talking about. He's like, I didn't do anything. I didn't burn the house down. And so they go to court, and they, they argue about it, and they go to court. And, and the judge goes, so what happened? And the atheist stands up and goes, that guy prayed for my house to be destroyed. And two days later, my house burned to the ground. And the pastor stands up and says, I just simply prayed. I did not destroy this guy's house. And the judge looks at both of them and goes, huh, would you look at that? Here we have a pastor who spends his life talking about believing in prayer, who doesn't believe in prayer, and an atheist who doesn't believe in a God who all of a sudden believes in the power of prayer. And so... It's a cheesy story, but it illustrates this. Do, do we understand that our connection to God has the power to change our lives and the power to change the circumstances that we live in and in the world around us? And so there's an importance in prayer. Does our lives reflect that? And then the second, how do we not partake in the system undoing creation? Now, I'm not going to get political here, and I— I'm not going to talk about global warming, and I'm not going to talk about all of that. For me, it's more this idea that God has created a way for the world to work best. And, and we are called as, as people to steward God's creation. That's to steward our ecology and to steward our relationships and to steward um, the, the things that God has given us in this, 
this world to take care of those things. So how do we do that? And, and at times, I would say that, that the system with which we live in, the world with which we live is more focused on making money than caring and being a steward. It's more focused on um, getting luxury than, than stewarding. And, and how do I know that? Because we have documentaries that tell us so. <laughs> just I'm, I'm just joking. But um, we know that because we know that, that the rate of life at, at times that we live is not sustainable and it's not good. Maybe it's good for a select group of people, but it's not always best for everyone. And so how do we stop partaking in that system that, that is, is really that our actions are, are reaping negative consequences on our environment and on creation? Well, the first thing we do is we love and honor God. We don't know the design of God if we are not tied into God and if we're not following God. So that's the very first step. We have to know who he is and desire what he wants. The second thing is we have to live in God's design. We talked about this this a few weeks back about reading the word of God and understanding what God wants us to do. Now, that may mean that, um, and, and I guess what I wanted to say was this, is that there, there are a lot of different like theories on how this can happen and a lot of different theories that come from the word of God on the best way to do this. But at its base, the two two ways that we do that is we live in relationship with people the way that God tells us to live in relationship. So we love people the way that God calls us to, and we steward creation in a way that we are that we use and care for it, and yet we don't abuse it. If that makes sense. And so we we honor God's creation by 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 using it in, in the way that it was given to us, but not abusing it. So. We, we, we follow God's design, the, both morally and, and relationally and ecologically. And then lastly, we do what we can to live differently. I'm not going to say that, that you have to sell. I don't know. I, I tried to think of ways to, to simplify this, and I'm not going to tell you that you, you need to start buying organic and you, you need to buy a car that runs on electricity. Um, I don't think that those are the answers. But we just have to be aware of the way of the things that we do that can have negative consequences to the environment and to um, in, in a grand way, I guess I, I should say. My cousin Stephen, he's a chicken farmer, um, and and he's been using this term, and he he does it in a way that is um, both good for the animal, good for the environment, and um, and tries to provide a living for himself by being a chicken farmer. He does that by employing different methods that, that, that help really care for and steward all the different impacts that the chickens have, both in how it feeds humanity, but, but also in how it, how it's droppings affect the environment and how, how putting them all in one place, how it affects the, the life of the bird. And so the term he uses husbandry and, and i had to ask him what that meant and essentially it's the, the care and the stewarding of the animal in such a way that it benefits all of creation and so th there are ways that 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 we can do these things for him it's how he manages chickens for us maybe it's recycling maybe it's buying local produce or local meat from from butchers and from people we know that that do it in, in a sustainable way i this is a place where you're going to have to really just kind of 
pray to God and ask him, what is the impact my lifestyle is making and how can I change it so that it honors your, the way that you want me to live? So again, this is not a call to live organic and it's not a call uh, to, to sell your, your, your gasoline vehicle. I drive one and I don't eat organic, but I think we have to be conscious and aware of the, of the things that we do and the things that we buy and the things that we are part of that play into a system that is destroying both our morality and our ecology. And so I am going to step off of that soapbox, but um, that is kind of what I took from Revelation today in, in the passages that we're, um, we're reading. John is addressing this idea that prayer matters, and he's addressing the idea that, that if we do not stop biting into the culture around us, if we don't live differently, if we don't live according to the design that God ha has had for us, that there are consequences to that. And that our lives will, at some point, um, if we're not willing to repent and change and 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 walk in the ways that God has for us, then then there's going to uh, be a judgment on that type of life. And so, I, I that is that is my take on Revelation eight one through twelve. Tomorrow we'll look at uh, eight thirteen through the end of chapter nine, and. Um, and and then we'll we'll just keep on plugging away. All right, guys, thanks so much for joining me today. I'm gonna jump back to the video here and see if anybody has joined in. Um, hey, Devana, how you doing? Um, good to good to have you on here today. I hope that this makes sense, and um, I, I really appreciate you guys joining me. And I realized today was kind of some heady stuff. So if you have any questions, please reach out to me. If you want some more uh, implications, we can have a conversation about different ways that, that, that uh, these implications kind of play out. And so just let me know, reach out to me, and I would love to, to talk about it. So, all right, guys, we will talk to you later, and I hope you have a great day.